Good evening, Woodland Hills, proud parishioners, and now there's no difference between those two. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in, for watching, for participating in this Good Friday service. Uh, my name is Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And no, I don't usually dress like this. Um, but I've heard that in times of social distress and upheaval, uh, it's really important to keep traditions going, right? And, and it's, it is one of the three services that I sometimes wear ties at, or what's Good Friday, Easter, and uh, Christmas. And then funerals, if that, that happens. But uh, uh, so I wanted to keep that tradition going, hence... I look like a real pastor today. <laughs> All right. um, you know, we, we, there's something about this Good Friday service, I'll tell you. Part of a tradition that we've had at Woodland Hills Church is that our Good Friday services have always had a special anointing on them. Uh, they've just been powerful. Um, and there's something about this Good Friday service that just seems, I don't know, that tradition is going to keep going. It's going to look different, but it's, it's here. Even that first song that we just sang, I don't know. See, one of the mental frames that we, reframes we've got to do is pretend like you're not watching television. Try to exit and imagine us being together in the spiritual realm, right? We're seated with Christ Jesus, and we're all there together, right? Imagine that and get out of that watch TV mode because it's about participation. And in that song we just sang there, as I was getting into I was imagining we trade our ashes in for beauty. What a, what a gospel. Forgive, wear forgiveness like a crown. And so you could sing that song and it might, might mean nothing much at all, but when you enter into that in your inner sanctum, when you imagine that, when you see that and experience the reality of that, oh, wow, that's the power of the cross. And I want this next hour to be about the power of the cross. Uh, it's, if, it's, if it's watching something that's kind of whatever, no, that's, no, no, we're here to really encounter, reflect on, and dig down into the meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ, which changes everything. We're, we're going to enter into a time of worship right now, and it's a different kind of worship. Uh, we're we're uh, using this time to really re re think of outside the box, and, and maybe, you know, think outside the box in ways we should have thought earlier. I don't know. But we thought it'd really be good to pull in the community here. Um, when a time when we're all so isolated, let's draw on the community in, in, in maybe ways that, that we haven't before uh, as, uh, to bring about this worship. And so we went to uh, Echo and, and, and some folks that we know that, that are artists in various venues, and we asked them, would you be willing to kind of offer up something of a reflection and whatever artistic expression works for you, uh, a reflection of the cross? What, what, what does that mean to you? And uh, we just appreciate it. We got, you know, some, some said yes, and, and they, they, they sent us some stuff, and so we put this together. And so we're going to have 20 minutes or so of, of, of this entering into worship while watching various people express this in various different ways, poems, dance, songs. And I encourage us to enter into that. Now, art is kind of funky, right? It, it, what, it, what lands with one person doesn't necessarily move another person. And so if some piece doesn't move you, well, then just... Praise God that you know that there's other people who are getting tremendously blessed by this. Um, and, 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 and so stay engaged with this. Uh, thanks to all those who are able to uh, uh, offer this up. So let's enter this. We offer this up as an act of worship, Reflections on the Cross. It's hard to imagine Jesus' death on the cross and sit in the sorrow that came with it especially when we know how the story ends. I think most of us would rather fast forward through the crucifixion straight to the resurrection. Joy seems easier to express than sorrow. Happiness out of control is contagious. Meanwhile, sorrow seems dangerous, an emotion far too painful to pass on. So most of us keep silent. Fortunately, Jesus is pretty good at unmasking our hearts. I can think of two times he caught me off guard and I came completely undone. On both occasions, I was simply admiring sculptures made of stone. The first is a fixture at a Catholic church in my hometown, a life-size crucifix. Jesus suffers with his arms outstretched, a classic passion piece. During Lent, Silver cords are hung from the nails in his hands, flowing to the floor. When the sun hits just right, his sacrifice glitters, and his body casts a shadow so lifelike. 
The second is in the Catholic Cathedral of St. Paul. There's a replica there of Michelangelo's Piata. It portrays Mother Mary cradling her son's body. Jesus' arms hang loosely at his sides, and his eyes are closed serenely. His skin is so smooth and detailed, you can see every muscle and vein. Mary looks down at him gracefully with such sweet sorrow. These inanimate stones sprung to life and spoke to me. They taught me that sorrow can be beautiful and without it, there'd be no fullness of joy. It reminds me of the story of Jesus's triumphant entry, only inversely. Multitudes spread their cloaks on the road and rejoice while Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The Pharisees try to stifle it all and ask him to make everyone quiet. Jesus tells them, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The cross is confusing. It was a weapon for punishing, but also a bridge to peace. So was it judgment or mercy? Many would say both, but then what? Was God entrenched in civil war? Are we all baptized into a muddy river where God's anger and affection merge? It would be a hard paradox unless the two flow from different streams. It was not divine wrath that washed over Jesus. It was the malice of estranged men and angels that killed God on the earth. But God was not subdued against his will. He allowed our violence to bury him because he knew that the metal of our hate could not withstand the melting heat of his love. On the cross, Jesus ushered in the promise given to the prophet. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Why do I deserve thy cross? Why do I get everything I shouldn't have? Why do I deserve your life? Why do I get everything I shouldn't have? Your bloody crown Save me from my scorn How can you hold me when You hold so many others I don't know what to think right now Seeing you on that cross But I'll trust in you Don't deserve thy Christ 
But still I get everything I need I don't deserve your love But still you embrace me and make me new Oh, your bloody crown releases me from my scorn and Trust in you It hurts They're Jeering at me They don't They don't understand I could Make them No I made them. They'll learn this this way is best. I feel so small. This form is so small. I feel like I'm bursting out. I just want to show them. No, it, it needs to be to be their choice. This is the right thing. They need to see my forgiveness, see the balance I'm restoring. The whip burns. I don't want this for them. They can be better. They'll know soon. I, I can see it. They will be better. Somehow it hurts a little less. The sky went dark today. No hint of light, no glimmer of light, no hope for light. As I stumble in the dark, all I can do is remember the stories. Out of the darkness of the beginning, let there be light. Out of the darkness of the flood, a prism of colors. Out of the darkness of one wanderer, stars too numerous to count. Out of the darkness of slavery, a burning bush and a pillar by night. Out of the darkness of idolatry, consuming fire from heaven. Out of the darkness of exile, a prophecy of a great light. Our history is a history of the God who shines light into darkness. On this day of darkness, I see no light. Not a hint, not a glimmer. But I hope and I wait.
wanted to create a piece that reflected the hope of the cross. I wanted a simple painting with a very clear message, so I decided to use paint pouring to create the effect of a stormy sky with one central bright spot to surround the cross and portray its meaning. back, I invited the elementary kids in Heroes Gate to respond in a variety of ways at the end of our Easter lesson, one of which was drawing on the art wall. I don't know which kid drew this insightful masterpiece, but I absolutely love it and had it tacked to my office wall for years. There's so much to love in it. The child's artistic skills, the grief and sorrow of Good Friday, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross out of his unending, unstoppable love for all of humanity, but I think what I love most about it is the heavenly perspective this kid recognized all on his or her own. Things that Friday seemingly went from bad to worse to horrifyingly worse. Yet if you look at the angel on the left, there is written one of the most profound proofs for hope I've ever seen. Just you wait. We can't always see or know or understand what's going on or how God is working in a given situation. And while I don't believe God causes the bad, horrible things we experience in this world, I do believe he is constantly at work to bring good out of the bad. This child's simple drawing is a reminder for me that what I see and experience is not the whole story, nor is it the end of the story. There is more happening, and I believe an ending which no bad thing I experience in this life can alter. My hope does not rest in what I can see or feel or experience. My hope is in Christ alone. And if the grave couldn't stop him, then nothing can. This Good Friday, we're all meeting both the joyful and the sorrowful, the good and the difficult. In the midst of it all, I pray we can keep this child's perspective at the forefront of our minds. May we, whatever we are facing, continually remind ourselves with joyful expectation just you wait. Mm -hmm. 
appreciate each of those uh, artists uh, contributing that piece. And when we come together and worship, it's about our commonality, right? We're all singing the same song and usually same parts and whatever, and there's some individual stuff, but it's really a collective thing, and that's how it should be. But there is a different kind of worship that maybe we've got to get a little better at doing. But uh, it's, it's when you let one person just worship God in their uniqueness and, and just their unique expression. And for the community, just to marvel at the unique way that God is expressed through this person and through this dance and through this poem. And uh, there's such a unique beauty in that, in that, 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 that specialness, that uniqueness. And so I really appreciate, uh, I'm sure we all do, uh, those who uh, offered up this material. And, and, you know, you're stepping out. And that's the thing is you have to be willing to say, here's how I praise God and it will land with some but not with others. But to be able to do it because it's what God created you to do. It's beautiful. It, 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 it does feel like a, it's kind of a unique, somber, kind of Good Friday. I, I, I think it's because right now it's easier, at least for me, I, I suspect this is true for all of us, but to kind of enter into the mindset of uh, the ancient Israelites uh, who are, who are in, in exile, but they're celebrating Passover and, and they're looking forward to deliverance. And right now it's not too hard to feel like we're in kind of mass exile, <laughs> uh, that this whole earth is sort of estranged from God and we're waiting for deliverance. And our hearts need to always go out to, and our prayers need to go out to those who are right now suffering, uh, who have had loved ones who have died, or who right now who are suffering and, and are, are going through the anxiety of all that. Um, and of course, keep in prayer those who are on the front lines, the doctors, nurses, and all the aides, assistants, and those who have to just work in grocery stores. We're hearing accounts of people in grocery stores catching it and dying. And so uh, all of them are, are to keep the society running as much as possible on the front lines. So keep them in prayer. Um, and, and, and for the whole situation that we find ourselves in. Um, we are people that, that do work for on our knees. Um, this time being what it is, it, it, it's, it's very clear we live in a Good Friday world. We always live in a Good Friday world. We will be living in a Good Friday world until Easter morning for the earth happens. But sometimes that Good Friday quality, that not yet quality that we're still under bondage quality, that we're still under the suffering of corruption quality is more evident than other times, and this is one of those times. Uh, unprecedented for, for, for any of us to see uh, a natural disaster on this scale globally. And it, it, it causes people to ask the question, especially during Holy Week, where's God in all this? And we've been kind of chewing on that, that question ourselves. Uh, but it seemed on all the major stations, there was religious specialists, religious authorities, priests, rabbis, whatever, who were asked this question, where's God? And, and they had various kinds of answers that, that they sometimes would give. I'll throw in my little theological two cents here. Uh, I think if you believe, if you accept that God gave free will to human beings and God gave free will to high-ranking angelic beings, everything you need to explain will get explained. That, you can explain everything with that. Whatever in the cosmos is not in line with the character of God as revealed in Jesus Christ comes from some will other than God. Well, the interviews this week didn't all say that. Some almost got there, but I always find those interviews a little bit frustrating when they say, oh, well, it's just a mystery. We just have to call out. We just have to lament. We just have to, or worse are sometimes those people who give explanations. So, so. But here's the thing. They're, they're more important than that. The very question, it seems like the, the questioner and the answer presuppose a kind of a framework. And the framework is, is God is up there and we're down here and the problem of evil is a problem for us because we're suffering and we're wondering, God, why are you letting this happen? But it's not happening to God. It, it, the problem of evil isn't, isn't a problem for God. God's just looking down on us. And we're wondering, why are you not letting this happen? And see, I, I think that, that the framework is, is fundamentally mistaken. And then people guess what the reasons might be. Why are you doing this to us? But the Bible presents us with a very, very different kind of perspective. Uh, it, it reflects it in a lot of different ways, but, but uh, maybe one of the clearest is in Hebrews. And uh, I'd like to invite you to get your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have those, I'll give you a moment to do that. And while you're getting your Bibles, we'll be celebrating the we're celebrating communion after this message, uh, and and so uh, I encourage you to get something to drink and something to eat that will represent the the body and and the blood of, of Jesus. So get your Bibles. If you, now, when you have your Bibles, kids, show your parents where Hebrews is, <laughs> the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter four, 
It's right after, who can find it first in your family? We should make this into a kids game. It's right after Titus. Actually, Philemon, sorry. My bad. I know. See, this is why I got to get back. An app ruins your brain. It's true of GPS and it's true of the Bible app. It's too easy. You don't have to even look for things anymore. Seek and you shall find. Well, if it's doing the seeking for you, what good is the finding? There you go. I won't even charge extra for that one. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 4 says this. And it's starting with verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, uh, let your word come alive here. That two-edged sword, let it uh, pierce whatever needs to be pierced. Let it mend whatever needs to be mended. God, uh, let it restore whatever needs to be restored. Let it convict. Acquire authority and beauty and power, transforming life in us beyond what we've this far had. Open our eyes, Lord. See the beauty more. Amen. So here, the author says, rises that Jesus was in every respect made like us. Every respect. He was fully, fully human. And because of that, he's on the inside of what it is to be a human. He's on the inside of human weaknesses. And the author reminds his audience of that in order to encourage them so you can be confident when you go to the throne of grace. Now the fact that it's called the throne of grace should already make you confident. But in case that doesn't suffice, well, remember this. That the, the one who is on that throne became like you. He gets you. He understands you. He's not up there a, a non-empathetic monarch who's ready to crush you or condemn you. No, he, 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 when he became a human being, he experienced humanity from the inside. He knows humanity, human experience from the inside. Something new happened with that incarnation. Now, God always knew about what it is to be human. God's omniscient, all-knowing. But only with the incarnation does God now experience that from this particular human experience, from this perspective. And the cross culminates everything that the incarnation's all about. The cross fulfills, sums up everything the incarnation's about. And so this process of God beginning to get on the inside of human experience culminates on the cross. It begins with the incarnation when God becomes a full human being and throughout his ministry, throughout his life, he experiences what it is to be a human. But on the cross, he goes from beyond, beyond just entering into solidarity with our humanity but now he enters into solidarity with our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be sin for us. He became our sin. And then Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that he became our curse. When he hung on the tree. Curses anyone who, who's on the tree. He became our curse, which is the, 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 the innate consequences of our sin. The destructive consequences of our sin. The judgment for our sin. So God went to the infinite extreme of becoming our humanity and then becoming our sin and becoming our curse. That's why he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing from the inside what it is to be forsaken by God. He's stepping into our forsakenness. He's experiencing from the inside what it is to be a sinner. He's a, the sin of the world is upon him. He's experiencing that from the inside. The all-holy God dives head first into the hell that we've made and the sin that we've made. And that's how he displays his holiness. That's how he displays his grace. And the infinite distance that he crosses to enter into our humanity, our sin, and our curse reveals the perfection of the love that God is. And that's why the cross is the definitive, perfect revelation of God. So when you ask the question, where is God? Well, see... You can give your answers. You can talk about free will, and that's fine. That's good. But the ultimate answer should be, where is God? Well, God's on the inside. God's on the inside where there is pain. And really, if you think about it, how could it be otherwise? If God is perfect love, how could God not be perfect empathy? If there's someone that you love that's in pain, you feel the pain with them, right? Anyone who loves is going to feel the pain of their beloved. They can't fully enter into it, but as much as possible, you feel that. It hurts you. It affects you. And Paul tells us that, that will, that's what love always does. Love, love weeps with those who weep and rejoices with those who rejoice. So if, if God is perfect love, then of course God would be on the inside of all the experience of those he loves. Uh, on the inside of their pain, perfectly empathizing with them. And that's what the cross reveals. 
If it's true of us that we would enter into, how much more of God? That God perfectly entered into, experiences from the inside what humanity goes through. So here's the thing. When people talk about the problem of evil, they usually mean the problem of suffering for human beings. And then you'll have some good, sensitive theologians who will include the suffering of animals. Thank you. That needs to be included. So the problem of evil is the problem of suffering of humans and of animals. But I submit to you that the problem of evil is, is first and foremost a problem of suffering for God. Because God is perfect love. We, right now, everyone who is suffering has lost... Who's, imagine everyone who's suffering, who's suffering because they lost a loved one. Um, there's, there's, their love is grieving that loss. But see, God is perfect love and God's on the inside of that. And so God feels the collective pain of that. From the inside, God knows what it is to have lost a loved one to a pandemic and to be the person who's, in the, who, who's, who's dying, not being able to see their loved ones while they're in the process of dying. God knows from the inside what it is to suffer every nightmare that humans have ever gone through. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is God diving into our sin and our nightmare and experiencing it all from the inside. I, I, find, I came to the point in my life where I decided that's the only kind of God I could possibly believe in. I've shared this story before, but it bears repeating. Some of you heard this, but uh, I, when I first went to the University of Minnesota, I had a year-old Christian faith. I just got blown sky high for a lot of reasons, not least of which was the problem of evil. Uh, I went through nine months of misery, and maybe it was God just making me miserable that finally led me to give Christianity a reconsideration, and I began to slowly claw my way back into the faith. And at one point when I was kind of right at the precipice, I was half in, half out, I wasn't, you know, I, I was still in indecision. I, I was taking this astronomy class, and we were one evening looking at the moons of Jupiter and, and various stars and constellations, and we're just talking about the expansiveness of, of, of space and the Big Bang and all of that. And I was just so overwhelmed by the majesty of the whole thing, I thought to myself, there's got to be a God. And if you, 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 when you think about all the various things that had to be exactly right to be in place for there to even be matter formed, let alone matter that could produce intelligent life, there's got to be a God. And you think of the mind, the, the, the intricacy of the human mind and what is consciousness, there's got to be a God who designed this. But after the classes, I'm walking back to my class, I was thinking, I'd just been exposed to the Holocaust and learning about the Holocaust. I was taking a class in Hebrew where some, there's some kids there who were grandkids of survivors of the Holocaust. And, and so we were talking about all this. There was a show on television about the Holocaust. And I was just so overwhelmed by the enormity of the suffering and the evil of that atrocity that I thought there can't be a God. How could God, Yahweh, allow his people to undergo this six million Jews being exterminated under Hitler's regime? Another four million folks, because they weren't, didn't match up to the profile that Hitler specified. Where was God in that? And, and as I walked back to my car on this October night in 1977, I, my head was this ping pong ball. There's got to be a God. Look at the majesty of the universe, the intricacy of the human brain. But there can't be a God. Look at all the suffering of this world. But there's got to be a God. But there can't be a God. It was like a, my head was in this vice grip. And just as I got to my car, I, 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 I said some of this and I thought some of this. I don't know which was which, but basically I cried out. I basically was saying, God, here's the thing. I... If you're up there looking down at us miserable human beings going, oh, those poor suckers, then I have a moral obligation to not believe in you. If there's things you could do to prevent the misery going on down here and yet you're not lifting a finger, then I have a moral obligation not to believe in you. That's why I understand atheists so well. I get atheists because they think that's the only option is to believe in a God like that. God's up there just sort of designing all the misery that we go through. Well, you give a moral obligation to say, I can't bow before that kind of God, that God that tortures little children. The only God I could possibly believe in is one, if, if you're on the inside, if you know on the inside what it is to go through any number of, of the nightmares that people go through in this life, and I know this is family-friendly, so I'm not going to itemize those, and a hundred parents just thank me. But, uh, but you, I know that the, the, the extreme nightmare that life can be, but God's on the inside of that. And it's the... As I got into my car, it was, the only God I can believe in is one who's on the inside. And I remember I turned on the car, and it was like I was turning on a light bulb in my head, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit. Because it was like a word just came to me, and the word was, what do you think the cross is all about? 
What do you think the cross is all about? What do you think the cross is all about? This is a God who, has, who dives on the inside, the, every nook and cranny, every dark corner, every wicked crevice, every despicable little hiding place. God dives into it because God loves the people that are in there and love doesn't abandon people. God loves the people that are in there and God embraces them in order to restore them and to redeem them. The cross is all about a God who gets on the inside. And God is willing to lay aside the blessedness of his own divine being in order to do that. God is on the inside. Uh, you know, Eli Wiesel, uh, a lot of you know him, a Nobel Prize winner. He, was, uh, he wrote this book called Night. And um, it is a powerful, powerful book. It's a short thing. It's just a little over 100 pages or so. But, but um, uh, it is a... It's an account of, of what he went through as a young boy in, in Auschwitz and a little before that. And, and it's, it's allured. His, his writing is so graphic. I would not recommend it for people who are prone towards depression or who are, are uh, you know, sad, and especially in the middle of a pandemic. I probably shouldn't have brought the book up at all now I think about it. But, but for those who are in good spirits, uh, it's a good read. Um, look into it. Okay, so there's one scene there. And I had all intentions of, of wearing this the entire duration of the service, but it's too hot. Even with nobody in this auditorium, it's too hot. And so I hope you don't mind that I am going to hear. Watch this. I'll, I, I'll, I'll wave my, my, my coat like this, and masses of people have just blown over by the Holy Spirit. Maybe not. Uh, I guess well, that, that's the wrong gig. All right. Don't do that here. Um, okay, so where was I before my sweat so really interrupted me? Oh, yeah, Eli Vissel. So there's a scene. It's a, it's a powerful scene. Routinely, the, the, at these concentration camps, they'd round up all the prisoners and they'd have to watch executions. Somebody stole a piece of bread or whatever. And it's one day, he, the, there's three people to be executed. And as Eli, he was eight years old at this point, he's looking at this thing in, in horror. And one of the people to be executed was a boy about his age. And, uh, and then they were executed. And as they were hanging there struggling, um, Eli reports that he heard a person behind him saying, where is the merciful God now? Where is God? And Eli felt an immediate answer in his spirit. He's up there. He's that boy hanging in the gallows. Now, see, I think when Eli says that, he's saying that that's when God died for him. He, had, he believed in God. He was a Jewish believer. He believed in God. But the God he believed in was the God who was up there watching the suffering down here. And, and, and he had an explanation for that, I'm sure. But when he went through the Holocaust, those explanations stopped working. So he felt he, had to, he could no longer believe in God. God died in, in, in Auschwitz. But I wonder what might have been, you know, how, if, if things might have been different, if he would have had a conception of a God who's really on, who really is up there on, on the gallows. God is on the inside, knows on the inside what it would be like to be that boy in those conditions. Would that have made a difference? See, this is what the cross is all about. God's not out there looking down on us. God's on the inside. And, and, and what that means for us, folks, is, is this. Number one, it means that, look, God knows you perfectly. Um, and he loves you. <laughs> he knows you perfectly. Uh, he's on the inside. He gets you. He's, Augustine said this, and I don't quote Augustine very positively very often, but he said this, God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And that, that point is true. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He gets us better than we get ourselves. And he loves you. Think about that. He, he knows all, you hide some other stuff to have, make it easier for other people to love you. But God already knows all that. And so why not just be honest with him? He knows you and he loves you and he, he loves you as you are, exactly as you are, in order to love you to where he knows you can be. It also means that God is, that we're never alone when we're going through suffering. He's always on the inside of the suffering. So it makes sense for us to look for God on the inside of suffering. When we're going through the pain, when we're going through the grief, the nervousness, the anxiety, whatever it is that's, that's going on in your life, look for God in that darkness because God is there. He's, that's what the cross is all about. You can't go bottom enough to outrun God. I don't care how low you go, what depth of depravity you might sink to, how far off the wagon you're going to fall, what kind of mess of life you're going to make. However low you go, God's going to be just beneath you. Because that's what the cross is all about. And he's on the inside of it all. We never go through it alone. He's there. And he's there to bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring restoration, to bring good out of evil. Trust that God can do that. You're never alone. 
Someone who understands you the best and loves you anyways, that's called your best friend. God is your best friend. The God of the cross is the best friend. He gets on the inside. Um, the cross is I, God's way of saying, in, this is intimacy. This is God's intimacy statement. Into me see. The cross is God saying, look, here's what I really am like. All those lies you've been believing all throughout history since Genesis 3 are lies. This is what I'm really like down to the core of my being. And this is what you mean to me. And my question to us then is, is, can we reciprocate that? Knowing that he knows it all anyways, can we invite God into the deepest, darkest stuff? Into the, the, the private stories that we run that no one knows about, but invite God into them. Uh, the cross is all about God desiring to get on the inside of all that is ugly to make it beautiful. On the inside, that's all that's painful to, to, to bring healing. He wants to get on the inside of all that's scary to bring you hope and deliverance. Uh, we're going to have a time of communion where we commemorate uh, the covenant that we're a part of. And it's all about intimacy. We look into the intimacy of God. We open ourselves up to him. Uh, we're going to have a worship time, if I could ask the worship team to come up here. And we'll... Um, uh, uh, just have a time of worship and, and use this to prepare your hearts to open up to the Spirit to bring, whose job is to point us to Jesus and ask the Spirit to just bring us the beauty of the cross in a powerful, powerful way. And if you haven't yet, go get some water or bread or anything to drink or anything to eat and then we'll come and we'll celebrate the elements together. So hang on to them and we'll take communion together. I'd like us all to just imagine... We're sitting around the table right now. Uh, it's the Last Supper. And we are in the spiritual realm all united, so we can imagine that. And Jesus is now going to give us the sign of the covenant, the covenant reminder. Uh, and so he took the bread that they were going to eat, and he broke it before them. And yes, I also was wondering if I was going to be able to do that, but fortunately, it's, it's, I've been working out. So, um, He took the bread and he broke it before them. And he said, this bread is my body, which is going to be broken for you. So as often as you take this and eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what it costs. Remember what the Lord was willing to pay in order to be in relationship with us, to redeem us, to restore us. And then he took the cup. It's just an ordinary cup. It's ordinary bread because God always just uses the ordinary. Jesus said this cup is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. And so as often as you take this cup together and drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So here we're seeing God unveiling God's true character, the shed body and blood of Jesus Christ. Can we open ourselves up as we take these, these elements together? This is our way of saying we receive that love, we ingest that love, we make it part of our identity, and we will replicate that love. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. Amen. 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 Keep your eyes, hearts tuned to the cross as we now just reflect again on the depth of love that's revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, thanks so much again for, for being a part of this. I hope that uh, it's, it's been a blessing to you. Um, whatever life throws our way, whatever comes down the pipe, the Word of God, the Kingdom of God keeps on going. And uh, when one way gets blocked off, we find another way. That way gets blocked off, we find another way. I just felt like I wanted to end this service by having the Apostle Paul pray for us. So receive this prayer from the Apostle Paul. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, though it surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled 
to the measure of all the fullness of God. Receive that prayer, let it soak, and prepare for Easter where this all explodes in the cosmos. Godspeed. See you Sunday morning.